Welcome to Plex Weather. It's the 2021 preseason. We're here. The spirit of training. We have a lot to talk about. Uh, since we last spoke, the draft took place. Uh, we're going to get into that in just a second. Uh, after I finish this little preamble, uh, I'll be bringing on Tori Huster, who was kind enough to speak to me before training today. I was kind of hoping to do something that is approaching normal media at preseason, um, which is something that we cannot do during COVID. So this is going to have to be the method. Uh, this and and written articles uh, are going to have to be how we make do. Tori was kind enough to speak to me uh, this morning. I'm recording this on Wednesday before heading to day two of training for preseason, which uh, is pretty exciting. Uh, it's all it's all happening at once, it feels like, but, you know, that's the way of the world sometimes. Not to give the draft itself uh, the short end of the stick here, uh, the Spirit took ended up taking five players, uh, trading back into the first round. It was very dramatic. We had many, we all endured, I'm sure, many of the timeouts. Uh, some folks lasted through the whole thing. Shout out to you if you got all the way through to pick number 40. Uh, if you're a Spirit fan, you probably did last at least to pick 39. It's uh, an interesting an interesting uh, crop, to be sure, uh, of players they picked. Uh, as Richie said on the show last time, these are players that the Spirit tend to want to not just select and see if they can hack it in preseason, but actually bring aboard. So do not be surprised if Trinity Rodman, Anna Helferty, Sidney Schneider, and Mariana Speckmeyer are playing for the Spirit pretty much straight away. Uh, it would be kind of a big surprise if they didn't get a contract. Tara McCune, uh, they traded up to get her later in the first round, like I said. Um, she'll be playing uh, at USC this spring, so... That's a little bit of a different situation, but I know the team is very high on her, so I assume we'll be seeing her in spirit colors before too long. It just will be a little bit longer than the rest of the group. They've all reported. We have a preseason roster. Most of the squad is in place. Uh, Julia Rodar, who signed recently as well, got a lot to cover here. I'm trying to get through all of it because I don't want this show to be uh, 900 minutes long here. Signed as well. Richie Burke had said they were trying to sign or they were finalizing something with a Swedish international that is her. Um, so she's adding to a few different positions in the midfield. She hasn't reported yet. She'll be according to the team arriving late in uh, February. And other than her and Tara McCune, just about everyone else is in town. Um, so the training sessions are at least for now being held over at the Washington football team's bubble, which um, Tori will speak more about um it's definitely in a different experience for sure than um your normal outdoor training sessions which right now there's a lot of snow on the ground i live you know out in anordo county where i didn't get very much snow but i know the further west you go the worse it gets so it would have been very difficult to do proper training sessions it probably would have just been the training session would probably have been shuffling a field to get it uh open for the next day um and that's not really soccer preseason that's just shuffling um, so it's good that the spirit found a, uh, a location that they can train, uh, in a safe manner because, you know, as much as we joke about ice and cold, it's really not good, uh, physically to be trying to build yourself up during the preseason while being out there in temperatures where it's, you know, 28, 29 degrees and there's potentially ice on the ground. So really a smart move from the team, uh, glad they could find a venue that could set them up. And it's just uh, it's an exciting time of year. 
Uh, hopefully we'll have more details in the near future about what else is going on. The preseason long. Um, this is the longest preseason by far in the league. And we, at this point, we don't know preseason opponents. You know, we know the challenge cup, but that's kind of not really preseason. It's kind of its own little thing. So yeah, there's, there's still a lot for us to learn. There's also a lot to get into. I know we're talking, I'm kind of breezing past the draft and uh, the signing of Julie Radar, but I, I wanted to focus this show on preseason itself because that's it's day day two of preseason as re- I'm recording this. And, you know, like I said, this is kind of an attempt to replicate what it would be like if I could head out and go to training, stand down, stand out there in the cold and record some record some audio, ask some questions. Um, and this is kind of that, uh, which is nice. Uh, it, we got into a few other things, of course. I, this being Plex Weather, I had to ask Tori a Plex Weather question, and uh, she 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 threw it way back. Uh, but that's that's kind of the fun of having someone who's been there from day one. You can find out a lot of things that maybe you didn't know if you're new to the team, or maybe you fondly remember uh, if you've been around since day one as well. Um, so it's, re- it's a really good interview, and it's going to start in just a second. It's the first episode of the preseason, and it's also the first time we've done a morning episode. I, I've said we. I already <laughs> did it. I told myself not to do we because it's just me hosting it, and I keep doing it. Uh, and I've also now botched the intro. Uh, Tori Huster, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. So, like I just said, we're we're talking in the morning, and anyone that read Jeff Kasuf's piece uh, from the Equalizer last summer knows that you you're serious enough about coffee that you took an espresso machine <laughs> to the Challenge Cup. Um, so I need to I ask. Did. I, I you know, starting at around 930, uh, I went, we're recording this at 10, I went and made myself a cup of coffee. So I've got to ask you, um, what sort of coffee are you drinking this morning? What's what's the go-to right now? I just took the last sip of my coffee before you press the record button. So <laughs> um, I actually, I use the same beans pretty much every day to mm-hmm. make my coffee. They're La Colombe coffee, uh, La Colombe beans. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little cafe or it was a little cafe that was, uh, I think founded in Philadelphia and then kind of made its way down the coast. And there's a, a several all over the, um, all over America now, but, um, I think there's four or five in the DC area. Mm-hmm. Um, but I get their, their beans from, um, whole foods and I just, I like the flavor. So I've stuck with, stuck with it. Excellent. Are you doing are you doing more of like a, a pour over or are you making uh, an espresso based drink? Um, yeah, it's espresso based. Um, mm-hmm. My machine can um, basically pull an espresso shot and then I steam my milk and make somewhat of like a latte cappuccino type thing. OK, cool. One of the recent very small COVID era victories of mine is I managed to get a good cafe au lait out of the completely standard coffee maker that I have yeah. um, just to have <laughs> oh, some good. variation. Um, yeah. Because I, I have a, I do, I like to do a pour over, but um, at a certain point uh, I was like, I got to figure out how to do something else because every day is kind of blending into each other day. And uh, yeah. <laughs> just last week I got it. I, I got one where I was like, this is actually not bad. This is, this could maybe not be, like barista quality but it's close (laughs) 
Yeah, switching up the routine definitely is good. There's some days where I'm all business and just do an Americano. Mm-hmm. Um, but most, the, since preseason started, I've been doing a latte just to try to enjoy my morning, be calm before the storm in the mm-hmm. afternoon. But um, it's been it's been fun. I think since being in Australia, I just really fell in love with coffee culture and um, took it upon myself to find a good machine. Several of my friends have the same machine, actually. And yeah. um, I took a barista course, actually, when I was in oh, Australia cool. to learn how to steam milk. Mm-hmm. And um, that has served me well these past couple of years <laughs> and certainly at the Challenge Cup. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I, I remember and saved a ton of money as well. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Uh, they the the trips to the coffee shop add up. Even if you go real simple, it adds up yeah. so fast. Um, I know from when Chloe Lagarzo and Amy Harrison were on the team, um, mm-hmm. it came up uh, talking to them. the 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 coffee issue came up for them, and and they were trying to be very nice uh about the coffee culture in the u.s but it it was clear that there is a a gap maybe that we need to catch up on yeah i think particularly in suburbia i think Mm. most people just think of coffee as uh, coffee culture hasn't hit suburbia yet i wouldn't say it's more of like a grab-and-go type thing duncan starbucks Um, whereas in australia or in some of the unique cafes that are around dc and, and bigger cities I think coffee becomes something that you sit and you enjoy and it's a place to have a a conversation with someone. So it's more of an experience than just something that is going to get you through the day or just for the caffeine. Um, And they certainly understand that they always want to go for a coffee. Um, And it, yeah, I definitely adopted that philosophy when Mm -hmm. I've been being, having played in Australia and um, there's, a lot of European cities that, that coffee culture has um, kind of hit. So there's a wave and um, hopefully it hits America more steadily through mm-hmm. through the suburbs. <laughs> I'm, I'm completely on board. Uh, I would, I would love to see that. I've, yeah. I've only, I've got a couple, I am fairly out in the suburbs. And I've got a couple options. Um, I haven't really been to any of them during COVID, but uh, that is, yeah. A thing I would love to do uh, once once things get a little more safe is to just go sit in one of those uh, one of those spots and just, you know, have my have my coffee slowly and chill out there. That's yeah. going to be that'll be a big day. I feel like that'll be maybe a maybe that, that could be the first thing when, when it feels safe enough. That might be my, my very first move. Hey, well, I'd get behind that for sure. <laughs> uh, you know, you mentioned that you're you're trying to trying to have your calm before the storm we're talking on uh wednesday so preseason just started yeah you were you had the the indoor training session um coming through that first day what goes into now that you've been through a few preseasons at this point what goes into that first day that that or even this first week um what are the important things that um you need to get through as an individual and as a team Yeah, I think what tends to happen is that I think nerves and energy is super high that first day. Um, I think everyone kind of is is feeling each other out, but they're also, you know, we've heard uh, the date February 1st, or for us, it was February 2nd, um, Mm -hmm. so much that then you get to that day and it's all built up and you're just, you're ready and raring to go. 
Um, I think particularly for the young ones, ones that are coming out of college or trying to make a good impression. Um, I think I'm always expecting that it's going to be super chaotic. And mm. although I think the, the energy was pretty chaotic yesterday, um, I think it went pretty well, um, you know, trying to get a feel for a new environment um, for, for the young ones. But then because we are in um, at Washington football team's bubble, that's a new environment for all of us. So mm. just trying to remain steady, if you, if, if you will, um, as much as possible throughout the first week and, you know, making sure you're taking care of your body because it's, it's a different level than you're typically used to because, you know, you're training on your own or you're training with a small group. A lot of people were in quarantine before, before we started. So just making sure that you're taking care of yourself um, so that no one gets injured, um, hopefully, and um, that you can kind of get the most out of that first week as you can, as much as you can, because it is uh, so energetic and kind of frenzied. Just thinking, you, you mentioned the fact that, you know, people are having to quarantine before they can get into training. Um, does that... Mm-hmm did that contribute this year to maybe even more high energy? The fact that people have been kind of boxed in for a couple of weeks and they finally get their, their chance to get out and do something. Yeah. We've been cooped up a little bit. Um, Luckily, I mean, we have a very good um, sports performance coach Mm -hmm. and uh, he was able to work with each individual kind of at, at their baseline where, wherever they are, he, he meets them there. And um, whether they were in quarantine or not, trying to get them up to speed so that we can hit the, really hit the ground running when, when we start as a group. Um, I think quarantine plays into it, and I think everyone has been really aware of how that affects them. Um, mm. But just making sure they're as prepared as possible, I think uh, he tends to do a really good job with that um, so as to avoid injury or, you know, get them up to speed with, with their loading and stuff. Um, obviously I do not own the vocabulary for, (laughs) for all those technical terms, but, um, I think putting us in the, in the best position to be in a good place to start with the team. Um, he definitely does a really good job at that. Uh, I know, um, you know, on, on this side of the fence, covering the team and, and, getting involved in, in the discussions about the team. Um, these things maybe tend to get made into a big deal when they aren't as big of a deal, but mm-hmm. I did get a lot of people asking me this uh, when the preseason roster came out, you were listed as a midfielder after uh, last year and the year before being almost entirely playing defense. Um, and I know people, there were some people that are actually excited um, about it. And I was, you know, well, I, I guess I should find out. Um, do you think this year, I know it's, I know we're, you know, day two of preseason, so it's probably quite early to, to ask, but um, do you think you're going to be maybe seeing more time in the midfield or is it still completely uh, up in the air kind of thing? Richie has mentioned it once or twice that uh, he could slide me up a little bit further. Um, mm. I think for the last probably four seasons or so, I've been pretty defensive minded, whether I've been in the midfield or in the back line. So mm-hmm. um, I would say that I would, uh, he, he would probably lean towards, if anything in the midfield, maybe more defensive, um, but nothing is set in stone and nothing has ever been set in stone yeah. um, for me and my position throughout my entire career. So um, that's, <laughs> that's pretty normal for me. 
and yeah. I'm okay with that. Um, I want to be, you know, one of the best 11 on the team and want to be playing. So wherever that is, I'm ready and, and willing. And um, we are, if you look at our roster, pretty defense heavy. So mm-hmm. um, if that provides an opportunity for me to move into midfield and um, stake my claim there, then I'll do so. But I think, um, you know, for any NWSL player out there that, you know, maybe isn't a national team player, I think coming into a league, this is probably more for rookies, you know, being as consistent as possible and just being a good soccer player is going to lend its hand to you being on any roster and being in a starting 11. Um, I think I've played in a lot of different positions, probably all of them aside from goalkeeper mm-hmm. while at the spirit. And, um, you know, I, I think it's just a matter of me wanting to play and wanting to play wherever, um, wherever the coach sees fit. So you'd have to ask Richie where he sees me and maybe he doesn't know yet. And right. just got to kind of feel out what the roster looks like this year. But um, I'm excited for the opportunity to maybe push forward. It just depends on our formation, too. Yeah, I know um, when uh, we were allowed to speak with Emily Sonnet for the first time, Richie immediately began joking about playing her up front as a, as the number nine. <laughs> so I'm I'm curious about when uh, when you're going to get your shot. Uh, I know it's been a little while. There, what was it? 2017. You had a few games up front. I think so. I think it was. Uh, oh yeah, 2017 or 2018. One of those. Mm. Um. But uh, I, I don't know, how, how you mentioned not playing in goal. Uh, how, how would you feel if, if they turned to you, if something came up and you had someone had to step in goal? Would that be you or is that someone you would ask somebody else maybe? Uh, that would have to be Paige for sure. Yeah, um, yeah she is um, unafraid of anything So and she can jump. So I think, you know, if she's going to come out and slide to save a breakaway or something or she's going to be able to tip a ball over a crossbar or if anyone's going to be able to, it's probably going to be her. Um, yeah. She's just very unfazed by things like that. So while I would love to be the fourth string goalkeeper, if it comes to that, um, I think I'd have to, for the betterment of the team, uh, just slide page into that position. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's the veteran know-how I feel like uh, wanting, yeah. wanting to do it, but knowing that there might be someone better for the job. Definitely. Um, and Pagey is that one. <laughs> I From talking to Richie, um, it's actually feels like it's been forever ago. It's probably only been a couple of weeks, but um, I know this season there's, you know, part of what you want to work on as a group is um, finding ways to draw teams out a little bit and open up more space for the attackers to run into playing where, where you've been playing, whether it's, defensive midfield whether it's in the back you know when you are luring your opponent out it necessarily means that there's going to be more of them in your half of the field which means someone in your position is going to be under more pressure on the ball than maybe you normally would be um but that seems like something that Richie has embraced and and that the group uh has embraced I still remember um there was a game where uh, in Richie's first year where uh, he chose to play direct and he said after the game, it didn't work. And then the next time I talked to him, he said that uh, the, the squad basically got together and was like, we don't want to do this. Uh, we we want to keep the ball. Don't, don't make us play direct anymore. And he said, all right, all right. 
<laughs> so it's it seems like it's something that's come up a lot where y- you all as a team really embrace being under pressure with the ball and still being able to to play out with it. Um, what does it mean for you as a player and for the team as a whole when the coaches aren't just saying we trust you to receive the ball in those tight spots, but actually building the elements of the game plan around the ability to do that? Yeah, I think all of the players that Richie recruits and the technical staff recruits are um, or drafts, and we've had great drafts for the past three years. Um, those players, they're going to select them because they have a technical ability um, and they can execute that technical ability that they have um, in a possession-oriented style or, uh, yeah, style of play that Richie wants to um, to for us to have. Um, I think we have a lot of players that are confident in their technical ability. And if we have that pressure, um, I think what becomes more important is what's happening off the ball. So it's mm. not the, it, it does require a level of vision and precision with the player that is on the ball, but there is so much that needs to happen off the ball for us to be successful in that style of play. Um, I think those are things that we can still get better at and we can mature a little bit more going into the season um, because I do think that there, <clears throat> as we move the ball up the field, there is certainly uh, a level of more precision that needs to happen, I would say, um, mm-hmm. just so we can find that space that is open if we have a lot of pressure. Take North Carolina, for example, they love to overpressure. And if we can find the spaces that they're leaving or that they're, they're leaving open, um, we're going to be better off. Sometimes that may look more direct, but um, I think that is the cognition that is necessary to, um, to break something, to break that pressure, something like mm-hmm. that pressure down. Um, so it's, for me, it's more about what happens off the ball um, for players that don't necessarily have the ball that are finding spaces that make it easy for the player that has the ball, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, uh, that definitely makes sense. Uh, it's, it's always interesting to watch um, the way that the, the, they're starting to become more of a, a, a variation around the league. And so um, there was a time a few years ago where I felt like most games looked kind of the same in the league. And, and mm-hmm. uh, it seems like the last two years, especially that there is um more of that where a team, you know, like you just said, where there might be the appearance of something that, that feels more direct, but it kind of is based around those same possession principles. It's just that when you've drawn somebody out, you know, where's the open space going to be, it's going to be further down the field and you might have to go one pass goes long. Um, but it doesn't mean you're just thumping long balls all day long. Um, but it's, it's been, it's been fun to see the league grow in that direction. Um, I I think that's been a, a really, uh, a really cool thing to see over the last few years. You mentioned the draft and one thing that one of the main reasons that it clicked in my head that I should be uh, having you on the show uh, after the draft is that you, not for the first time, you were part of the the team's draft delegation. Um, you're, you know, I, I don't know exactly what's going on though, because I, I have not been a part of a, a professional team's draft yet. Um, I'm still mm-hmm. waiting for my chance. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm I'm curious. It's kind of a unique 
uh, situation. I, I don't think I saw any other players uh, on draft day involved so directly with their team's, you know, draft day activities. So I was curious, um, what are, what are you involved with on draft day? What what's going on when when you're part of that group? Uh, I think fortunately, um, and this is, I'm going to go ahead and assume it's very unlike some of the other clubs and uh, potentially how they operate, but mm. from the top down. So that's from our owners to um, our GM CEO and then through our technical staff, they are very involved um, or our, our leadership group, which is Aubrey, Andy, myself, um, are very involved in uh, some of these conversations. You know, we don't have the final say, but um, they do take our opinions and uh, let's say suggestions um, on hand. And I think um, that's one thing that I really enjoy about the club. I think it's a, it's a, a, the lines of communication are, seem to always be open. Um, and on draft day, particularly, I think because Andy and Aubrey were, I believe they were at camp, I want to say, mm. um, at that time, they probably would have been at the draft had they been in town as well. Um, I think it's, it's very inclusive here. Um, the player's first mentality is super important. So for a, a rookie that or a, a draftee um, to hear from a player right away as they get drafted, um, to have that connection and that contact straight away, straight off the bat, um, I think for, for Richie, that's really important. So that's kind of what, what my role is there, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, understanding why we pick who we do. Um, Richie may give me like little tidbits here and there about their, uh, how they play, um, what type of player they are, if they, if they know things about their character, which they're always picking great players with great character. Mm-hmm. Um, I even watched a few clips while I was at the draft um, mm-hmm. from our, um, technical specialist, videographer, not videographer, but um, film study coach, Chris mm-hmm. Ward, watching clips of the players that were drafting. Um, I think that's just a really cool experience. And then to be able to be on the phone with them as Richie's calling them, congratulating them, and, um, you know, just making them feel as comfortable as possible um, so that they can get here and we can get the most out of them, um, you know, try to remove any nerves let them know the standards, let them know the, um, the, the level that they're coming into, that they need to rise above, that it's, it's great that they've been drafted, but now it's, it's the big leagues and um, let's get ready and to try and foster an environment that helps them um, show the best that they can in, in their first couple of years. Obviously, if we're going to have so many young ones, we need to get them on board quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that onboarding process helps when I'm able to talk to them for the first time they're hearing from the club. Um, there is a player involved, whether it's me or, or any of our players, honestly. Mm. Um, it just, I think it helps with the, with the team aspect, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That, that definitely, that, that sounds like a, a pretty good plan. I, um, I would, I would think so anyway. Um, I, <laughs> I, I am curious about, um, you know, that, now that you've you mentioned that 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 this onboarding process it really starts the moment that you know the commissioner reads the name off. Um, 
And mm-hmm. uh, I'm curious, you know, how, how, or what happens after that? You know, you've got um, this year was a little bit weird because the draft just happened. Um, it, it, there wasn't a lot of time between draft day and the, the start of preseason, but in a normal year, right in years past, at least, you know, draft day is in January and then there's kind of a lull, like February kind of passes by without a lot of anything happening. And at least from what we can see, but I know behind the scenes, there's a lot going on. What is it just continuing what you, what you talked about, or is there some additional aspect that happens in the time between when the players drafted and when they actually report? You know, they get, um, they get contacted by a number of employees of the spirit and players mm-hmm. of the spirit. Um, not only did I speak to them that night, but then, um, Andy reached out to every every draftee that we had, put mm. them in a group message with Andy, Aubrey, and myself again. Um, they were added to, this is just from a player's side, but they were added to our group me right away so that they know any logistical information. But then they're talking to our sports performance coach. They're talking to Richie regularly. Um, Chris is talking to them as well. And then you have the whole operation side, making sure mm-hmm. that they're, they're getting in safely. They're knowing for now, they're knowing the protocol, COVID protocols. Um, they're knowing like flight information, where they're living, all of that stuff. Um, we're trying to make that transition, whether it, they're coming straight from college or they're coming from home, trying to make that transition as smooth as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, just because there's so many things that are going on and, um, Denise, who works, who's our operations officer, um, she has a lot of experience making the transition really easy for players. And, you know, when you're moving to a different city, um, it, that can be really overwhelming. And mm-hmm. she, she certainly helps that and kind of has everything detail by detail. Um, I know roommates uh, typically will contact each other prior to so there's there's just a lot of communication that is happening. I'd mm-hmm. say more communication than anything. Um, and then again, uh, when you're talking about the performance aspects of it, um, our our performance coach is communicating with them on how they need to best prepare for um, what preseason is going to look like. Um, that's probably the the most important part. But mm. a lot is happening. You don't want them to be deer in the headlights when when they get here. So. Um, there are a lot of people that are reaching out trying to make it as easy as possible. This is kind of maybe maybe this might be related a little bit, um, but this is kind of it's also kind of a big, broad question. You could probably do an entire small podcast series on on this one. But we're, we're talking about entering this ninth year uh, in league history, um, which is super exciting. And you've been there since day one. So you've seen all of these all of these things that have changed that in some cases or in a lot of cases things that had to change for the league to keep going um you know mm-hmm. we're we're now talking about a league that's got games on CBS and and sold out big stadiums and so many changes behind the scenes that maybe fans and media don't even get to see what stands out to you as the key aspects that have really progressed from 2013 to today that, that in your opinion, have been um, major milestones for the league uh, from a player's perspective? Hmm. There's definitely a lot that has changed. 
Mm. Um, and I guess I'm of the mind that I would like to see things happen even faster <laughs> within yeah. the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we are, we're definitely trending in the right direction, but things happen really slowly. Um, <clears throat> I think the the last couple of years, it's been really great to have a, a major broadcast show our games as a player and as a PA president, um, as somebody who wants to, to see this game grow exponentially. Um, I would love to see that happen week in and week out, multiple games on, on multiple weekends, mm-hmm. um, regardless of any other sport happening. I, I want us to be, you know, a, a main show that people watch uh, every weekend. Um, so hopefully we're getting there. Uh, hopefully that happens um, sooner rather than later. But I'm trying to be patient. Um, mm-hmm. I think the league has done well to go out and find sponsors. I think the, ch- the Challenge Cup was a good indication of people, uh, major corporate sponsors, wanting to be involved in the women's game. I think you'll see the there's a trend right now that um, people are wanting to put money behind women's sports. I hope that continues. And then I think from a, uh, a a player level, I think what has changed for me is that you're going to see, or you maybe you already are seeing, a lot of people are seeing that um, there are so many players doing so many amazing things on and off the field, mm-hmm. particularly off the field. They have these great personalities and they are a part of causes or um, just different, they have different interests that are are really, I think, awesome. And mm. to be able to tell their stories, um, I think, is one of the the leagues and also the the uh, um, the players as a whole. Um, it's one of our responsibilities to get their stories out because. Um, how do you inspire the next generation if, if you're not doing that? Um, I think there's so much that can be relatable from, from a professional player to somebody who's very young, just starting off in soccer. Um, they might have similar stories. They might be able to relate to a player that, that they see on TV. And I think the more that you make players visible, whether that's through social media or that's putting us on a major broadcast, I think, you give more opportunity for a lot of young players to to see them. And, you know, I'm not even just talking about girls. I think boys can, can be inspired by women too. And um, I think that there has definitely been more opportunities for young players to see us, but I would love to see um, that grow as well. Mm. I did have, I had this set for closer to the end of the show. We're not too far from them, but I, I want to make sure I ask it now. Um, since you you kind of have set it up, um, you talked about, you know, off the field, some of the things that players have been involved with uh, that are really impressive. And I know you've been working with uh, St. Jude for a few years now. Um, what would you want people to know about that? What is something that you would want to say about that? You know, why, how did you get involved? Uh, what pushed you in that direction? Yeah, the um, I guess the story I always tell with St. Jude is that I had told um, Gretchen Ham, our I think she was our marketing officer at the time. Now her role has changed, but um, she had just come into the club and she was asking me what I was interested in, and 
I, I went in one day and I think I said, um, you know, I've been involved, I had been involved with a, a foundation previously and um, really wanted to do something more locally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I told her that, let's say on a Monday and then on the Tuesday morning, she, she told me that St. Jude had actually uh, contacted the spirit and wanted to find a way to be involved with the spirit. Um, so it was, I always say it was a match made in heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, just because it, it popped up at the same time for both of us. Um, I, you know, I had a, a, a friend, um, a high school friend that actually had a melanoma in her eye and um, that kind of hit home for me. And while she has recovered, um, she's lost a little bit of vision. And mm-hmm. I think the entire process became, um, it just became really important to provide and, and be part of her support system. Um, and seeing how important that is for uh, anybody that gets a cancer diagnosis, um, seeing that made me want to help provide support for those support systems that may have a family member that is diagnosed with cancer. And I think St. Jude does precisely that. Um, they, <laughs> The hospital, gosh, it's like, the family gets the diagnosis and Mm. each family member is supported whether they are actually the ones with cancer or not. Um, It's treated as such, like it's treated as if the, the family has it. Um, Even the siblings, you know, they, they put on little parties for, for the siblings to take part in. Um, They are, they're housed. They don't get a bill. Um, It's, it's really amazing what they're able to offer and they're only able to offer it because there's so many donors and there's so many, you know, there's, there's corporate, um, there's corporations that are involved with St. Jude and they're able to raise a lot of money because not only are they, they're treating patients, they're also researching all of these um, different forms of cancer and other illnesses as well, life-threatening illnesses. Um, they have scientists from all over the world that come specifically to do research with St. Jude um, so that they can try and find a cure for cancer. And currently I think they have raised the, um, the percentages of survival rates to 80%, which mm-hmm. St. Jude will always say that's still not enough. Um, but they've raised that from 20% uh, several years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're doing very amazing work. And I, I love being a part of it. I love being a part of it on the local level. I've met several, um, several patients here in the area. And it's, it's, been, it's been really cool. Going to the hospital, being there for a marathon weekend with my sister was really awesome. Um, mm-hmm. And just trying to find as many ways as possible to um, raise money for St. Jude, um, people all over the place, younger people than me are raising tens of thousands of dollars. And, Mm -hmm. um, I feel like I'm, I'm having a small part in that, but, um, it's been, it's been a pleasure to, to work with them and kind of see the, all of the work that they're doing. It's, it's funny. I, I, I happened to hear the, the story of this from Gretchen about how, literally it was the next day after you'd had that talk mm-hmm. um which is which is pretty wild uh the way things work out sometimes that you know sometimes i things just uh they happen at exactly the right moment it's it's a pretty cool uh pretty cool story and I, and obviously it's uh 
pretty meaningful for you and, and, you know, pretty meaningful for a lot of other people. Um, so that's, that's a really cool thing that, uh, I hope people listening to this, they probably don't need, need me telling them this, but it's, it's something that it, they can get involved in as well. I, 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 I don't know if you have any, um, uh, contact info or anything for that side of it. Um, it's very easy to donate to St. Jude. If you mm -hmm. just go to stjude.org, you can donate straight to the website. Um, and then there's all types of little, uh, not little, I'm not going to say little, but um, typically St. Jude does a ton of events. There were, mm -hmm. I think in 2019 and then not into 20, I think I did one event in 2020 before COVID hit. Um, events are their thing. They put on so many cool events. There was a, it's called a, the Gourmet Gala. Um, we did mm -hmm. it, I think it was up in the, where was, what's that called? The um, Anthem. Um, yeah. They they put on the Gourmet Gala there and it was just, it was so cool, so professionally done. There's tons of people there from from DC and all, and all over the DMV region um, that come in for that. They bring in a ton of restaurants. So they do um, different events like that. There's an, another event called the Gold, Golden Gala um, so locally they do a lot of events and that's kind of where I take part, um, mm. and, and, and have loved every event I've been a part of. Um, but raising money through those events is, is definitely how, um, they tend to fundraise. Um, but yes, you can donate straight to St. Jude. Uh, I think they have a, um, a t they have a t-shirt. I think it was this t-shirt saved, saved lives and you could, mm. Um, you could get that t-shirt if you are willing to donate $20 a month, which when you think about coffee, um, you could, you could save money and get your own espresso machine and then, mm -hmm. um, you know, donate that $20 a month. And that honestly, that makes a huge difference. Um, Danny Thomas is the founder of, um, St. Jude. He's no longer with us, but one of his, uh, biggest themes was that he would rather have, um, a, a dollar from a million people than a million dollars from one person, because mm -hmm. then you're, you're really having this community that is behind, um, this is supporting the same cause. And there's so much more power in that than any one person, you know, just writing a check. Um, mm -hmm. and I, I thought that was really amazing when I heard that at the hospital and, and certainly want to, uh, adopt that principle in my own life. Well, well, Tori, uh, we're looking at, it looks like it's right at the end of uh, the time we have, uh, but I do have, I have one last question that I kind of want to ask everyone that's been around the team for a while. This podcast is called Plex Weather, and <laughs> as as the only person that has been with the team uh, for every season, has played every season with the team, I, I'm sure you have a, a whole library of experiences with the 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 concept of plex weather if you could share even just one uh notable story dealing with the completely strange and and inexplicable weather patterns that happen at the maryland soccer plex uh i i would love to hear it the first thing that comes to mind is our first home win ever at the plex mm -hmm. uh, we were playing chicago and if you know anything about Chicago, and most people do, is that their weather is terrible. It's so windy. And for the first years of the, um, I believe, every almost every time I went to Chicago, there was weather there too. But mm -hmm. we actually were playing Chicago at home. 
And I think we had stopped multiple times for thunder and lightning. And we actually, I think we had gone up one, one nil, one nil and mm. gone back in after halftime and the weather was going to be even more terrible. All the players are sitting around, um, you know, actually like chit chatting together mm. <laughs> because you're just bored. You're just waiting around. Um, but they, and I think it was, I guess Chicago and Washington had to approve it and, and the referees too, but there was no way we were going to play any longer. Mm. So uh, we actually ended up getting the win because we were far enough into the second half that, that we could. Um, but we didn't even get oh, our first win at home through a 90 minute game. It was <laughs> because of the weather. So I guess in that case, it, it was, it was good. So thanks flex weather. But um, that is, the, that was the first time of many times that I ended up sitting in that discovery center, just mm. waiting for the game to come back on. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, I it, it crossed my mind that this might be uh, a story that had to come up. The fact that uh, the weather uh, played, I, I mean, who knows uh, if you had played the, the, the remaining minutes of the game. I, I like to think that you would have held on and won the game anyway. But um, there is something specific yeah, about <laughs> the, uh, there is something specific about when the Red Stars come out here. I feel like that has been that's like the, the game where the plex weather factor is amped up even more. I remember being out there for, there was a game in just a torrential downpour. I want to say in 2018 that mm-hmm. got pushed back to the next morning um, after playing some of the, or maybe it was just a long delay and the game did actually, I think that one got finished. Um, I'm mixing up my weather delay games. Um, Cause there's been so many. You're right. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, the the first time I ever came to cover a spirit game as media uh, was a game against Sky Blue that didn't even get kicked off. Um, it just never got started that night. Um, so I sat in the Discovery Center. I think uh, players were playing basketball uh, to kill time yep. until at a certain point it was just like, all right, everyone go home. We'll come back tomorrow morning and do it then. Yeah. It's a. I don't. I don't get it. I'll. I'll never understand it. Um. At some point, I might have to ask like a meteorologist to come on and explain it. Um, but yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm sure. I, I'm sure the next time you come on, we can. We can do a different one because there's got to be a billion. The the weirdest so weather many. place in the world <laughs> is uh, the South yeah. You always um, get. Um. You know, if you ever do get that, uh, the end of the game through, or um, the, if a storm passes, there is typically a beautiful sunset afterwards. So. <laughs> Um, if you do get to stay around long enough for that, uh, mm-hmm. it's something worth photographing at least. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you, uh, if you tough it out, if you're in the parking lot for you sitting in your car yeah. for a couple hours and you finally get to come back in and see the game, you maybe, maybe you get the benefit, uh, at the end. Um, but yeah, that the, the plex weather is, it's never not boring. Uh, I'll give it that. Yeah. Never from whatever season you're in there is something that is always wild and crazy no matter what I think there was one time during preseason we had pretty much all four seasons within the training session it was <laughs> hailing it was raining it was snowing um and then it just got like super hot it was so strange um that was a few years ago now and I mm-hmm. think most of the people on that team on that team aren't on the team anymore but um anybody that was would would remember that one training session because it was wild 
<laughs> in all of this packed into like a 90 minute span of time. It, it doesn't seem possible. Yeah. No, it really doesn't. So you're right. You should bring a meteorologist on and see what's so strange about Germantown or Boyd's, whatever you want to call it. Right. Yeah, I might. I might have to do that. I. I. This is the first time I've thought of it is just now. So uh, I might have to actually do that. And that's the show. I would like to thank Tori once again. Uh, it was really nice to get to talk to her. Uh, nice to get to talk uh, just before training. Definitely unusual, but um, it was a good conversation. Uh, we'll definitely. Uh, we'll, I'm doing it again. Um, I will definitely be circling back with the team, try and bring her back on again to talk about, there's a lot that we could talk about. I think that could be, uh, quite a bit to dig into. Um, and hopefully I'll get the chance to do that before I get into the podcast stuff that I always get into with the show. Uh, I will repeat what Tori said about, uh, her work with St. Jude. You can donate to St. Jude at stjude.org or just uh, keep an eye out for when they're doing events in the area. It's a pretty amazing cause that is easy to, to get after and, and, and help out with. As for this show, you've found it already. Um, somehow you've, you're hearing my voice. If you want to know how to hear my voice and the voice of people affiliated with the Spirit uh, on a more regular basis, you can check out the website, plexweather.pinecast.co. I know it doesn't look very good. I still haven't figured out exactly how to get Pinecast's uh, website software to do everything I would like, uh, but the episodes are all there. Um, you can check the pod, the podcast's Twitter account, which is at PlexWeather, all one word. That has, uh, ever, I think, everything you need. It has the link to the website. If you don't want to remember typing it out, you can just go to the Twitter account, and it's in the bio. You can find the show on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. If those sites ask for a ranking and a review, or a rating and a review. I don't think they do rankings. I don't know how that would work. Either way, rankings or ratings. Um, everyone on every podcast always says that they make a difference. I assume that people are correct about that. Um, so if you would like to do that, that would be awesome. Uh, it helped the show out quite a bit as well. Another way you can help the show, there is a tip jar. The link is in the bio of the podcast Twitter account, as well as at the um, down near the bottom of the the, the website, there's another link to it there. Um, if you'd like to support the show financially, that is awesome. That is, that's the, that means a whole lot to me. Um, and it will hopefully allow me to improve the show as we go on. I appreciate, I, I have been getting a couple tips here and there and it's it every single time. It's, it's awesome. Even if it's a tiny little amount, it's still awesome to me. I get the email. It makes my day. And on that note, uh, I'm going to try not to not to ramble at the end here. Thanks for listening.